Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. Well, I suppose this episode means that the pod is no longer quite that new as it moves into episode 53 and into a new year. If, like me growing up, you were a huge fan of the Mighty Ducks trilogy, or you've recently discovered them on Disney+, Plus, along with the new series Game Changers, then I've got a treat for you. This week I am joined by Justin Wong, who played Kenny Wu in D2 and D3. I got the chance to chat with Justin to really find out about his journey and where it has taken him during and since the Mighty Ducks films. Let's find out the whole story. Good afternoon, good evening, depending on whereabouts in the world you are, Justin. Thank you very much for coming on Hobby of a Lifestyle today, and how are you doing? Not too bad. Uh, I thank you very much for having me on. How you oh, doing? No, I'm really good. Thank you very much. I'm really looking forward to this. Justin, do you just want to tell people, certainly listen to the podcast, what you might be best known for? Uh, well, I mean, I guess what I'm best known for outside of my circle of friends would be obviously being Kenny Wu in, in D2 and D3. Um Within my circle of friends and uh, in my life right now, I'm known to be an audio technician. I do audio for concerts and in, in the studio for both music and in a bit here for like dialogue, doing things like for uh, animation and stuff like that. Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to finding out all about that. So Kenny, if we go back to the very beginning as as a young child, what were your hobbies? What were your passions as a child? Um, when I was a young kid, I kind of remember really wanting to play hockey at a young age. Um, and then, but I think, I don't know if it was from a financial standpoint for my, for my parents, but I think from the age of six, I played soccer or football, um, probably up until like the age of 10 or so. And that's when I switched over to hockey. And also at that age, I also was like enrolled into like Kung Fu okay. uh, just for something to do after school, that sort of thing. And, uh, but then, yeah, from the age of 10, I played hockey, played it for about five, six years up until they started uh, introducing hitting. And okay. at, at that time in Canada, I believe they were introducing hitting. I think I was maybe 14 or 15. Right. Okay. Which uh, I believe they've brought the age down right. because they want kids to learn how to hit earlier, learn how to take a hit. Yeah. And also that age between 14 and 15 is when some boys, yeah, of like course. Six yeah, tall, yeah. some stay the same height. So then all of a sudden you got these kids hitting yeah. and there's these six feet tall giants hitting like little what, five yeah, and a half like kids. Yeah. So they want to like, you know, try to get that in before the growth spurts happen. Kids learn right. how to hit properly, learn how to take a hit, learn yeah, how to yeah. look out for a hit, that sort of thing. Um, other hobbies when I was a kid, like, I don't know, my, my sister taught me how to draw, okay. uh, that sort of thing. I think at about the age of, I want to say at the age of 13, my mom bought my dad an acoustic guitar because he used to play when he was a kid. So that's when I started playing music as well. Okay. Uh, bought a Bob Dylan chord chart. Right. Learned a whole bunch of like the classic Bob Dylan songs because yeah, yeah. uh, all you really need is like three or four chords for that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And then uh, 
that kind of led me into the industry I am in today. Well, yeah, because it seems like you've you've really explored a lot of hobbies as a child and just really tried everything. And hockey is the national sport for for Canadians. So yeah. I'd imagine that nearly every Canadian plays hockey at some point in their life. Yeah, or at least gets involved in it, either being a fan or something like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. But funny thing is, though, I, I don't know if this is true, but I hear that lacrosse is actually our official national sport. Yeah. We're just really good at hockey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think lacrosse is, yeah, at least hockey's international, whereas lacrosse, yeah. assume, certainly in in Britain anyway, it's it's not something that's really played at all, or not yeah. that I'm not that I'm aware of anyway. Yeah, maybe as it is by by a minority, but it's certainly not by the majority who anyway who are doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as a child, you're you're pursuing different hobbies. You're doing soccer, then you started playing hockey, and you've already touched on it about. Mighty Ducks 2, Mighty Ducks 3. How on earth did that opportunity come along? Because you didn't want to mention acting in there. Actually, it's because I forgot to mention because it's actually not not a huge part of my life now. But uh, Yeah, of course. Because I I wouldn't say it was a hobby, but my mom at a young age uh, put me into like youth theater. Okay. Uh, I must have been about six or something. So basically it's like an after school kind of thing where you go and you you're enrolled with a bunch of other kids. There's kind of an acting teacher that just uh, you just do all the kind of like theater exercises. Yeah. And then eventually, I don't know how it happened. It kind of just happened organically, but eventually somehow some sort of play would be written between us kids and the teacher. Yeah. And then at the end of like, five or six weeks, we'd perform it in some small theater to all our parents nice. and that sort of thing. And then in the meantime, I was also, I, I think I got, my parent got, my mom got me an agent somehow. All right. And then I uh, started doing like some, some stills photography for uh, some, some local like uh, department stores like Sears and Woodward's. I don't know if you have that in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh and then started slowly doing commercials. So I like right. between like the age of like six and 10, I must've did like five Milton Bradley commercials, okay. a couple of the toy commercials, some cereal commercials, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then it was, and I think I did like a couple CBC. Uh, I did a CBC show called uh, the Odyssey, okay. which uh, was this television show about a kid that went into a, a coma. And then this a coma ro- this coma road that he lived in was just kids, no adults whatsoever. Right. And I play, I play gang member number, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was like my first introduction to actually like doing like uh, film and television right. outside uh, of the commercial world. What, what was that like as a child and when you're at school and then all of a sudden your friends are seeing you on television or they're seeing you in art, in magazines. That, that must be quite <laughs> a surreal moment. You get teased a lot. Yeah. Okay. Really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know if well, you'd be the cool kid or off it went the other way. You were teased. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like a fun sort of tease. Like my yeah, close yeah. friends would tease me. They, they, they looked at the Woodward's catalog. You'd be like, ha look at the funny clothes you're wearing. <laughs> like you, you're always in like funny, like little poses. Yeah. Like you're like yeah. laughing, you're fake doing stuff. And they they just would joke about that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was, it was, it wasn't anything personal or anything. They were my no, friends yeah, yeah. giving me a hard time. Um, but yeah, it was, I think the most, uh, what I enjoyed most was I got to miss school for it. 
So yeah. it's like when I had an audition, my mom would pick me up in the middle of the day. I'd go to an audition, come back and miss a, like a few, a couple hours of school. So that, oh, I was even, just like, oh, I'll better. do that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then when you get a day of filming a commercial, you miss a whole day of school. So, and then my mom also made me kind of the deal because uh, she always put away the money for college. Okay. But then, and, but she'd be like, it was kind of a math lesson. What's right. 10% of this check and I'd be like, it's this much. And I'd use that to buy like a toy. So I would go get like a Ninja Turtle toy or some Lego Brilliant. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, everyone loved Ninja Turtles growing up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were awesome. Yeah. And then uh, it, I was 12 when I don't know exactly how my mom found out about sending in a tape to, uh, to the producers of Mighty Ducks. But okay. uh, she found out, told my agent, we quickly taped an audition. Wow. And then... We all know uh, what happened after that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. what was it like going to the auditions? Because this is a obviously now becoming a franchise. And after the success of the first film, there's obviously quite a close-knit group. And I know for the second one, it obviously changed it up massively by bringing in people from, from around the country. Yeah. As, as it was as it was sort of part of Team USA. Yeah. What was it what was it like the audition process and then actually making it into that cast? So it was kind of like a two-step thing. Like usually when you're – because in Vancouver, we like a lot of smaller roles go to television and movies. Um, So usually the process is – or even for commercials, the process is you audition, and then they shortlist it, and then you go for a callback. And then they might even have a second callback, which is kind of rare, but then they pick who they want to use. For D2, after I sent in the tape – I don't really remember how much longer it was, but uh, they they asked me to fly down to LA for a screen test, what they call a screen test. So they actually okay. build uh, a set really quickly and they actually get some actual film cameras wow. and then actually film us doing the scene. So that's actually, before I even got the part, that's when I actually met like Josh Jackson yeah, yeah. and and Eldon and like all the OG ducks yeah, yeah. Um, from the first movie. And like, I was starstruck. I was just like, there goes Charlie. And yeah, there, yeah. Go, there goes Fulton. And there goes everybody <laughs> else. Um, Emilia wasn't there for the screen test, but, uh, but I got to meet the producers and the writers. And the, the one thing I noticed during that screen test is uh, Dwayne Robertson, the cowboy, uh, Luis Mendoza, Julie the Cat, Portman. Yeah. Am I missing anybody? They all had other people at the screen test auditioning. So right. not only not only Aaron and Colom and Mike Vitar and Ty were there, but they had other people kind of taking their turn to audition during the right. screen test. But for some reason, there was no one else for Kenny Wu. Okay, and and I was just like, oh, does, is this? This is a good thing, I hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then so I get home and it must have been about two weeks later. I don't think my mom was home, but I was for some reason. I get the call from my agent and she says that I'm going down to L.A. to film D2. I don't even know what I said to her, but all I know is I probably covered every inch of my house running around, <laughs> jumping up and down in excitement. I can imagine that is like that must feel like just a huge break in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like, this is like, it felt like this is it. This is like, maybe this is what I'm going to do for life. But also as a 12 year old, you're just like, 
you're more thinking as I get to meet all the ducks. Again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> like I, yeah, yeah I, I, I think I, at 12 year old, I'd be just thinking, wow, I'm going to be in the film. I'm going to yeah. be in the Mighty Ducks. This is really cool. Yeah. I'm going to meet all these guys. And, you know, I suppose for a child, although Emilio Estevez was probably the big name in it. Yeah. As a kid, you you were more interested in Charlie Conway, Josh Jackson, yeah. weren't you? you know, yeah. I remember being, yeah. as a kid, having my rollerblades and doing the, the Charlie Conway celebration where you go down to one knee and you pump your fist. And yeah. So I can imagine as a 12 year old, that is, that you've made it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and also like the future after that, it doesn't even really matter. It's just like, I'm going to be doing this one thing. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. And you were you the best player? Is that what you're seeing straight away as a as a Canadian local playing hockey already? You walked into that team and already star player. Yeah, I, I mean, like I was like uh, trying to be modest. I would say that yeah, I, I was able to kind of skate around everybody else pretty easily, especially the the newer Ducks in D two. I believe uh, Garrett, Vinny. Uh, maybe Matt and that's several of them like kept skating yeah, yeah. actually joined their youth hockey leagues right. after Mighty Ducks won okay. so they were already pretty good and also obviously from the training for the first one they were already you know able to to do enough yeah. at least but I was like having I mean having played for two years in leagues as well yeah, like I was I was able to like keep up if not like skate a bit better than the rest of them but yeah, it, yeah. it did take long for for them all to pick up. I mean, they're all young teenagers. It's yeah. it's once uh, when you're that young, picking up something like that's pretty, I want to say extremely easy, but it's, yeah. it, it comes naturally if you're athletic enough. And did you feel kind of welcome into that group straight away when you got on set? Yeah, definitely. Everybody was great and very welcoming. Um, I think what really helped to gel the group together was hockey camp. Okay. So um, I think we had, it must've been about four weeks or five weeks of hockey camp. So wow. before we even did any filming, we had about four weeks of in the morning, you skate for an hour and a half, then you go to school, then required three hours of school that you need a day. Right. Um, and then you do another hour and a half after. And okay. so like before any shooting, we all got to know each other super well during that time. Uh, like some of us that were similar age, we even help each other with our school projects, that sort of thing. So like, we just became friends immediately. And then also being from Vancouver and also several other ducks being from all over the U S we, the, the ones that didn't live in the Los Angeles area were put into like this apartment complex. So even after we got home from our hockey skate, we'd be at the pool, we'd be in the clubhouse playing pool, um it would just be hanging out all the time and instantly became friends no that's amazing because I, I can imagine it must be hard for a 12 13 year old to to go into a brand new environment with a group who have you know probably so close knit from the first film yeah all of a sudden so that's great to hear so you're filming mighty ducks 2 you know what what was your best memory of that um there's it's so long ago. The memories have become foggy. And, yeah. uh, but I, I would have to say it was filming in the pond, which is now the Honda center. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know what the timeline is. I don't know if the NHL team existed before we filmed there. I don't think so. Cause like, I believe we were the first people to actually 
properly use those locker rooms, properly skate on that ice. Uh, so I think we were there for about two weeks uh, filming that gold medal game. Yeah, yeah. And so it will start with like just doing some on ice stuff where you, you don't need a lot of people in the stands. They would have some cardboard cutouts, maybe bringing about like 50 extras. And then right. as the two weeks progressed, the last couple of days, we had 12,000 people in the stands. Wow. And they actually had a scrimmage too, which was amazing because I, I, I don't know if I'm remembering this properly, but I think I scored a goal on that scrimmage. Right. And the place lit up. Like really? the crowd went crazy and it was awesome. Like, like for like in the NHL here, they usually have little uh, kids come out in the intermission yeah, and yeah. play a little scrimmage for like five minutes yeah. and the crowd will go wild. I can only imagine that it's something similar to that for us 12 year olds to yeah, go out yeah. there and just play a hockey, play hockey in front of thousands of people and everything you do gets a cheer it's it's yeah. a rush for sure what a, what a life experience it must be as well yeah even just as even if it's kind of staged even if it's set up, just to say that you played in front of twelve thousand people is just that's phenomenal yeah. isn't it so you know it, people never get yeah. the chance to do that yeah i can't even imagine what a football stadium is like with a hundred thousand people but yeah. like tw- just twelve thousand people in an indoor arena it, it gets loud loud yeah definitely yeah. i can imagine yeah. What was it like then when it came to promoting that film? Was there a lot of traveling with that? And and did you just love it? Actually, during D2, I don't even remember doing any traveling promotion. Like, uh, right. uh, I think a few of the OG Ducks would have done that sort of thing. But I think being in Vancouver kind of put me on an island. Okay. And if I did any proper promoting down in the States, they would have to deal with work visas, right. possibly, okay. that sort of stuff. So I was kind of maybe left out of it for those right. reasons. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what was what was it like going home after you said, look, I'm gonna be in this film? And then all of a sudden it does premiere and you are now, you know, a a global star, I suppose. <laughs> for, for use of a phrase, you know, if everyone yeah. goes back to those films, you're mentioning people there, you're rattling them off. And I know as a fan of Mighty Ducks, I could I in my head I can see straight away who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, well it was uh quite interesting it was partly a challenge um because okay. I, I went I think i went back to elementary school so i think i went back to grade seven so all my close friends were there and they're just like oh justin's back big deal um but then that transition between grade seven and going to a new school for okay. middle school uh where i it was all boys school and already in my elementary school we were outnumbered by girls like two to one. So it was kind of a natural progression for the boys in that school to kind of end up at this all boys middle school. Right. Uh, and then I'd have maybe five of my close friends now only. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden you got hundreds of other people pointing at you being like, Hey, that's, that's that guy. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's Kenny Wu. Yeah. That's Kenny Wu. And, and that first couple of days of school was actually, I don't want to say incredibly rough, but kind of disruptive. Like I would actually yeah, yeah. like as walking down the hallway, people pointing at me, yeah. people tapping, actually like, you know, tugging on my shirt. It's like, Hey, that's you, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that kind of, I wasn't prepared for that yeah. at all. Um, it was, uh, definitely something that i think most i would i would say most 13 year olds probably aren't really prepared for yeah um 
Yeah. And I, I, wonder, I wonder if they do any education around that now with the kids who are, are in films, just to say, look, when life goes back to normal, yeah. if it goes back to normal, then this is actually what you need to be aware of and this is how you need to deal with it. Yeah, I would hope so because, like, I mean, on the on the big scale of things, like, look what happened to Michael Jackson. Like, yeah. I believe his, his childhood stardom messed him up pretty bad yeah. um, and turned him into, like, the unfortunate version of him that he became later in life um and you can see that in a lot of other child starred actors like there's child starred actors that are known to be to have like drug problems and that sort of stuff and it it's tough and it's kind of like i wonder if if they kind of do help coach kids like yeah like and they should because like you even see in hockey like when they see these prodigies by the age of 15, they're already trained for interviews, how to act around the media, yeah. how to understand that they are going to be role models if they make it for the rest yeah. of their lives. And that all of a sudden your life is not private anymore. It's yeah. very public. Uh, so it'd be interesting if, if like maybe if all the new kids and the game changers, if they get talked to about this yeah. sort of thing. Um, so, yeah. I, and I and if not, you've heard it here yeah, first. Justin Wong is now... He's starting up a business which is good at educating yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much of a psychologist I could be, uh, but I can maybe help a little bit. Justin's education, I like it. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're saying about going to school and people pointing the fingers and prodding saying, oh, yeah, you were in this, you were in that. I mean, did anyone just not get your name right? It was just Kenny. <laughs> no they 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 eventually um i don't know if it was like kind of a uh like living in vancouver i think like even though there was like that first couple of days of people pointing a finger it quickly died down once the right. once the excitement was over nobody really cared yeah, and yeah. i i think i believe in vancouver most of the population up here don't really care about celebrities yeah, all that much. It might be just like, oh, look, it's that person, but I'm not going to yeah, run over there screaming, that. you know? Yeah, it's funny you should say because I've got a really good friend who's from Vancouver, and she played um, professional soccer here in the in the UK and across yeah. Europe. But she actually represented Canada twice as well. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, she got two caps for Canada, which awesome. is a pheno- ph- yeah phenomenal achievement. Yeah, yeah I, I get the impression when you're talking about not starstruck, not necessarily people are just there to live the life and. And I, and I get that when you say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of like, I think people, it's either maybe the Canadian politeness. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah very polite. Very friendly. Yeah, or it's just like that person wants to live their life normally. Yeah, yeah. Let them live their life normally. That sort of thing. But, but how I, did I your life change after D2 then? Because that must be a life-changing event. Uh, I mean... It's hard to say how much it would have changed other than than just being kind of recognized for the first yeah, few yeah. years after D2. Um, I'd like to say that I probably maybe would have, I probably wouldn't have ended up doing anything different than I have now. Yeah, um, yeah so I don't, I don't think it changed my life entirely other than, than maybe... I had kind of a leg up. I don't have like a crippling uh, college loan yeah, yeah. or anything yeah, like that. Well, yeah. And, and that uh, is fantastic. Yeah. And my parents. That's one positive to come from it. Yeah. And then my parents invested whatever little money they 
of mine, they could into a little bit of property for me. And then I think just because of that, I'm, I'm one of the lucky few that actually can afford a house to afford a place in Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) so uh, I think, I think without those movies, that would be very different. Like probably that sort of stuff would be quite different. Wow. So yeah. Yeah, it, it is quite life-changing in the sense. And it's great that you had parents that were so switched on because it would be so easy for parents to kind of almost just not live vicariously through the child, but yeah. that money to be spent very quickly, maybe is on benefiting the parent rather than the child. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it would benefit I, the child at the time, but yeah, you get what I'm coming at. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think we've all heard of... Uh, unfortunate situations yeah. like that where the child has to kind of take control of their finances away yeah. from their parents. But, yeah. uh, but luckily I had parents that were just looking out for my well being. Yeah, of course. Um, if it helped them out in any way along the way, I don't care because of course. It, it, it put me in a position where I am yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. So life's kind of got back to normal. And then all of a sudden they've said they're making a, a third installment. Of yeah. the franchise, was it strictly was the audition process gone for this? Now was it just the case we've brought you into the film, Kenny? Are you up for it? First of all, and two, can you be here for this date to get going yeah. again? Yeah, there was no audition process. Luckily, uh, Steve and Jordan still wanted me to be part of it. Um, and actually, when I don't know if it's kind of a a traditional practice in the film industry. But when I did D2, they sign you to what they call options. Right. So I actually had two kind of standing contracts with Disney for them to, I don't know if it had to be to reprise the role of Kenny Wu or if it could have been any Disney movie. Okay. But basically I I, I think, I don't know all the legalese because I was just a kid. I don't know what was involved, but I believe I was obliged to do another movie if they okay. asked me to. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like who would say no? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, definitely. Especially if you've had so much yeah. fun on the first one and then you get to yeah. go back and see your friends again that you've yeah. met from around, from around the world, well, around the country. And yeah. And that, and that one was interesting because like now I've got to, I got a new group of friends at my high school. No one's pointing fingers. Yeah, and yeah. then I could be like, yeah, I'm taking off again. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to miss school again. So <laughs> see you guys next year. I mean, so your, that, your friends must have been excited for you just to say, well, why are we going to yeah. be in another movie? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible to what was, were you happy with the script for, for D3 or were you just too young to be even bothered? It was just a case of I'm in another movie and, and I love the first one that I made. Yeah. I, like, I don't think I was bothered at all. I knew, I always kind of felt like Kenby was a secondary kind of filler character. Yeah. He, he doesn't drive the story. Yeah. So I did, I did get a sense that Ken Wu's role kind of like sat back a bit more than he did in yeah. D2. Um, uh, I mean, like Steve tried to put me in as much as possible, I believe. Uh, but it was, it did turn into, because it wasn't so much about Gordon Bombay anymore. Now yeah. it's about uh, Charlie Conway. Yeah. So the story is based around him and then we support him in yeah, his story. And I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to hang out with friends yeah. and just be down there. So like, I have no complaints whatsoever. No, no matter how small my role gets. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. And I suppose 
it, it was it nice to be made the third bash brother though yeah yeah <laughs> i always i always feel like it's it's a great honor to be uh, be the third bash brother <laughs> yeah it's brilliant my, my little girls when we were watching it the other day they were they were in kinks watching it they thought it was brilliant <laughs> thought it was brilliant and they're going but dad look at the size of those two and then look at the size of him i said yeah. well there you go that's all yeah. it takes a little bit of attitude <laughs> yeah what was it like doing the third third installment then did you was it as good as the first time? Um, I think so. Yeah. Like, um, again, my memory is very foggy. I remember probably remember more about D2 than I do about yeah. D3. Um, but D3 was a lot of fun. And because it was in Minnesota, all of us, I don't think anybody uh, part of the Ducks team actually lived in Minnesota. So we were all now in one apartment complex okay. so that so after work and or after we, i think we have less of a hockey camp but after all that sort of stuff like we get home we'd all hang out we'd all find someone's someone's apartment to hang out in yeah, yeah. and do whatever um and we're all a bit older now we all kind of know how to get in trouble a bit more that of sort of thing so, so that's that's a bit more fun and <laughs> but i think they purposely put us out in the middle of nowhere i think the only thing <laughs> only thing Close to us was a gas station across right. the street that had a that had a Taco Bell built right, into okay. it, <laughs> but that's about it. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, being a little older, and for me, maybe a, even a little less starstruck from everybody yeah. else. Like, and then now our relationships are even a little bit closer yeah. tied together. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. So you finished doing Mighty Ducks three. Um, and do you still keep in touch with any of the guys that you, you were on set with all those years ago? Um, I didn't for a long time. I think after D3, I probably hadn't heard from, I mean, we did some uh, ADR. So that's like overdubbing some dialogue for whatever yeah. they couldn't properly get on set. Yeah. Um, and did that. And then that was, and then like sometime, I believe in, after I graduated, my parents took me, and my sister to Malaysia. And on the way back, we stopped in LA. Right. And luckily, uh, Sean Weiss Goldberg yeah. and, and Keenan Thompson, uh, Russ Tyler didn't, uh, didn't change their phone numbers. So right. I don't know, I guess my sister might've thought ahead, but she actually brought their phone numbers. Oh, wow. And so we were, when we were in LA for like two days after our trip from Malaysia, our flight home from Malaysia, I actually managed to get a hold of them and I saw them for like a couple hours in the afternoon. Um, and then from then, like being in Vancouver kind of put me on an island, as I yeah, said. Yeah. And um, I like, I bet you like all, like a bunch, a handful of the others probably saw each other every once, once in a while because they yeah, all live yeah. in LA or New York. But until Jordan Kerner, the executive producer of all the movies and of the Game Changers, it wasn't until he invited us to his house, I want to say 2015 or 2016, whatever right. the 25th anniversary year of okay. the original Mighty Ducks movie was, that's when I finally got to see everybody again for wow. such a long time. It was great to see everybody there. I think everybody was there, but Josh was busy, Keenan was busy, and Emilio was busy. But yeah. and and Ty, from what I understand, is still very difficult to be contacted. Okay. Um, okay. but, uh, but the rest of us are there, a mixture of the first movie all the way up until the third movie. Wow. We saw each other 
And then we got invited to the Anaheim Ducks 25th anniversary, which was a couple years later. Saw everybody there again. And then who I keep in touch with most now are the other OG Ducks that are going to be in the episode this week. We actually still have a text thread that goes on in every single time. Every once in a while, someone will pop up and say something like once a month or so. But yeah, Yeah, yeah. those people. That's really cool. Yeah. And I suppose it's important to highlight that this was before social media. Yeah. So it yeah. would have been, it's so much harder to keep in touch with people. Exactly. Then, you know, we all make friends and we say, we're going to keep in touch, but before social media made it so easy. Yeah. It, yeah. Just it was even before it. cell phones. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. What did we do before them? Yeah. <laughs> we, just did, we didn't speak to people. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you just had a close group of friends and that was it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so after Mighty Ducks three, you, you know, presumably from from someone kind of looking in, you would presume you've got the world at your feet. You've done two movies in your head, you know, from that from the outside looking in, you'd be thinking he's gonna just follow this path now. That's it. He's on the he's on the the path to be an actor, and that's that's the job he's gonna do. What what was your direction after Mighty Ducks three? Because fifteen sixteen when you filmed that, uh, fourteen. 14 yeah. okay so you were yeah. sort of coming towards the well middle of education i suppose before you had to make yeah. any real choices yeah so at that point i think that's when i started to lose interest in acting actually okay so i was like i think as a child actor it's probably a bit easier to be kind of like natural on camera yeah. You're just kind of being yourself. Like Ken Wu is just an extension of myself in yeah. those movies. And like, that's, that's probably at a point where if you want to become an actor, that's when you start have to, having to hone in your skills. Like yeah. you actually have to practice your skill. You actually have to work at it. If you want to make it a career, yeah. it's, it's not, it's not something that, I mean, obviously there's a natural talent involved, yeah. But you, but just like everything else, if someone has a natural talent in hockey, they're not going to get any better or not going to go anywhere professionally if they don't practice and of course. constantly have that urge to get better. So I didn't really have that urge to get better. I was still going to auditions, but not really landing any parts yeah. here and there. I think I got one small role in a, in a TV show. Do you remember Millennium? Um, it was kind of like a similar to yeah. X-Files, but yeah. it was, yeah. So it was Big another kind of... Yeah, it was another sci-fi kind of TV show filmed in Vancouver. Um, and and then that's about it. And then, like, it, I think between me and my agent, we kind of just knew that my heart wasn't in anymore. Yeah, so I just stopped going to auditions, uh, that sort of thing. And um, that's kind of when I got interested in playing music. I don't know if I was like, oh, I'm going to become a rock star or anything. Yeah. But, but basically, it started off with my parents had a karaoke machine. So that it came with microphones. I had a tape deck, a tape, uh, a tape stereo machine that had microphone inputs. Right. So then I would just record myself, and then eventually I learned how to like, I would record one tr- one guitar thing, and then I would blast it through the speakers, put a microphone on the speaker, put another microphone on the guitar, and overdub right, another okay. guitar, and that eventually led into my interest into audio engineering. Wow. Okay. So you've Graduated from high school and yeah. you've went to, is it college or university over there? I'm not quite sure. How uh, it works. College will get you a diploma 
and okay. the university will get you a degree. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. So similar, similar to the yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, so you you knew before you went to college and you went on to university that that is what you want to do, sound engineer or something in that industry? Um, not immediately. I think I spent about two semesters, so one year kind of just taking general arts. Okay. Um, <laughs> actually, what I did in high school is I – I had this smart idea of taking Spanish correspondence, even though I had already taken like pretty much 10 years of French classes up until that time and not learning how to say much more than how to go to the bathroom or I don't understand. (laughs) um, I was like, I'll do this correspondence class. It'll give me a spare where I could just sit around at school and do nothing. And between grade 11, grade 12, I did one page of it. So then when I had to break when I had to break that to my parents, it was not a good day. Yeah. So basically I didn't have the prerequisites to make it into university. Right. So they were pissed off to say the least. <laughs> so so then I just kind of went to college, kind of just to get my credits up so that I could transfer into university. I just did the thing, um, the usual things like take English, yeah, yeah. uh, sociology, history, all that sort of stuff. And then finally my mom threw this pamphlet on the table and it was a kind of like a private tech school up here in Vancouver called the Center for Digital Imaging and Sound. Right. And so after a year of just general arts college, I started to get into the recording arts uh, school. Right. I did, I did one year of that. And then my mom, she cuts, she's a hairdresser. She cuts hair out of, a, out of the house. Right. And she had a client who had a nephew in Germany that went to a school called the Liverpool Institute for the Performing Arts. Right. So then eventually I managed to take my credits at the school out here in Vancouver and transfer into the second year. And then I got my full degree at the, at LIPA in Liverpool, England. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And did you actually go over here to study or was that kind of an online thing? Uh, yeah, I went over there, and uh, oh. from what I gather from your accent, you probably live quite close to Liverpool. A little bit further, I'm Newcastle, so I'm in the northeast yeah. of England. Okay, so yeah, not a million mile away, but I've I've got yeah. a lot of friends in Liverpool. Yeah, but you got that northern accent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And how how did you enjoy your time here in the UK? It was it was great. Um, Liverpool, uh, I mean, I'm sure you must know is is kind of known to be like a blue collar town, a, a yeah. little rough around the edges, similar um, to Newcastle, yeah. Yeah. So that, that took a while to get used to and, and, and the accent. When I first got there, I I just, I was starving. So I went into a a restaurant to get some pasta. And the first thing that threw me off was hearing you all right. As a greet, as a greeting, I was just like, do I, do I not look all right? <laughs> is, is there something wrong? It's like, yeah. do I look down? Do I look tired? Do I look sick? Um, but, but yeah, I, I loved Liverpool. The school was amazing. I don't know if you know about LIPA, but it was a school that's actually founded by Paul McCartney. I, I kind of gathered it was going to be something yeah. around the Beatles because with them being from around. Yeah. There. So basically it was an art school that was first based on music, dance, and theater. And I think because of that, they decided to throw all the tech involved. So there's yeah. audio engineering, there's lighting, there's costume design, there's set design. So yeah. the school could put on full play productions or record full albums. And 
basically the the school out here was great, but the school there, I could just like turn around at the bar and be like, "Hey, you want to record something?" And they'll be like, "Yes, I want to record wow. something." And the, and they would be an amazing musician. Yeah. So like at like at at the school here, it's like okay. You, you in my class, you know how to play the drums. It's like, yeah, a little bit. So we record drums. But everybody in audio engineering and recording knows that, like, yeah, you have all the tools to record something. But if you don't have a good source, a good yeah. musician, it's not going to sound good, yeah. no matter what you do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there in Liverpool was fun. It was great being away from home for two yeah. years. Uh, great exploring other parts of the world. Um, so yeah, I had, I had a blast over there. Go on and give us your best Scouse accent. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even going to try. I, I do, I do have a friend that actually had a book that said how to speak Scouse. <laughs> really? And yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not going to try, embarrass myself. <laughs> I, try, I tried, I tried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, you've been to Liverpool for two years. Was that was the idea always to go back to Vancouver? Yeah, I I think so. Um, I mean, it kind of changed because I I I got a girlfriend over there at one point, uh, nice. and then I was like, well, should I try to live over here or should I try to live in Vancouver? Um, that didn't pan out, so I stayed home in Vancouver. Um, but yeah, I think just because I was on a student visa, I think naturally yeah, just yeah. coming home and there's already. Uh, a large recording industry up here in Vancouver. Okay. And uh, so I decided to say, and I got a job at a studio called Riverside Recording. Right. Uh, first started like just grabbing coffee, uh, helping helping the engineer out there. And then eventually two years later, all of a sudden I'm recording a lot of jazz, a lot of blues, a lot of, uh, a lot of world music, that sort of thing. Wow. And then also students from, uh, from a, a local college. Uh, Cause my, my boss there, created a course for students called music production. So it would kind of teach them how to budget their time in a recording studio and be prepared and all all that sort of stuff. So I would engineer a bunch of students that would, and basically we would have like a three and a half hours to set up, record, mix, master, and send them on their way. So it was like, it kept me on my toes and it, it, it it really like, uh, I got, uh, got my skills up. Okay. And what was next progression from that then? Um, the next progression was that was me and my, my partner, uh, here, we, uh, we started a studio because we, on Craigslist, we found like this studio that someone had built in, into their garage in their, wow. at the back of their house. And, and, uh, it was no longer being used because the, the person that built it was no longer in the picture, but she was like, okay, well, um, his wife just decided I'll rent this space out. It's got to be worth something. So we started there, recorded a bunch of local bands that eventually got upgraded to an actual studio that we leased out in North Vancouver, continued recording the bands actually kind of, uh, what's the word? Uh, got that contract with the school recording the students for that music production program, did that for a while through that found more clients, but then, it it doesn't make much money yeah, recording uh, recording music. Uh, like I would say, even like re- the studios in town that record large bands 
don't make a lot of money either because there's not a lot of money in the music industry. Yeah. I mean, there is, but like for the major, like yeah, the, the 99% of people, yeah, yeah. there isn't. So basically, it just end up recording people that barely have enough money to give you money, which barely gives you enough money to pay your lease on the yeah, studio, yeah. let alone building up your gear. There is a way to do it uh, properly if you have a good business mind. And I know a bunch of friends that have done that. And there's a lot of great studios in Vancouver because of that. Uh, but then the natural progression was to get into live audio okay. where you don't have an overhead actually pay you per hour yeah, yeah. um and it's actually like you can actually make a living off of it so yeah. that's when i got into concerts i work at a theater here a couple theaters here uh which are currently shut down to covid but there was yeah. a 1300 cap room and then a 500 cap room that i worked in regularly so i got to see a lot of cool up and coming acts or acts that are on that cusp of blowing up okay so yeah yeah, it's, it's I enjoyed a lot. At first, I didn't think I would. I was like, I want to be in the studio. There's a saying where like in the studio, you aim for perfection. Yeah. In live audio, you go for compromise. Okay. okay. And I wanted to go for that perfection. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I also wanted a place to just like kind of record my own music for fun. But then yeah, yeah. if I actually want to make money and pay the mortgage, then I have to do live audio. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So you're talking then, it's, it's all to be honest, it's all very humble. Is there any, any time in your life where you, because it doesn't sound like you've ever had to do that, but you've almost used that, that fame that you got from the films as a youngster to say, well, can I use this to open a door, get me an opportunity? I know it's a very different industry that you're working in, but has it, has it ever came about when it's worked? Uh, no, I have, I've never tried using that. Oh, I would have been using that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting because ever since I left acting and when I became old enough where nobody would recognize who I was anymore, yeah. the only people that know that I was Ken Wu are my close friends. Yeah. And anybody knew that I met, I wouldn't tell. Really? Um, yeah, like I just never felt that there was any reason to bring it up. Um, okay. Usually through the pipeline, they would start to find out. Yeah, but yeah, I feel yeah. like most people, because I didn't bring it up, they wouldn't bring it up. Okay. That sort of thing. And then I believe up until like five weeks ago or about a month ago, I, I bet you there's like a good hand, like a bunch of friends, like on my social media that had no idea. Really? Wow. That I played Ken Wu in the um, movies. <laughs> and, and now it's just blown up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, so like I, I've never used it to my advantage in any way. And and people would ask me about it a little bit here and there. And then I got a few friends who just can't help themselves, but like say like, yeah, this guy's this guy's in the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> and it's nice as well, though, isn't it? I mean, they're obviously yeah, just very yeah. proud that their friend was in the Mighty yeah. Ducks and they just want to yeah. sing, sing your praise, yeah. which is nice. Yeah, exactly. But I usually try to turn that conversation down as, yeah, yeah. as quick as I can. Just, <laughs> just, uh, I mean, it's not that I'm not proud of it. I'm very proud of it. And it, like, I found out a few years ago, like, like it really just didn't exist in my life until, until the Anaheim uh, Ducks 25th Silver Week anniversary, yeah, yeah. when I actually all these old fans just expressed to me how much the movies meant to them. Okay. And I, I had no idea actually until yeah. that point, 
how much the franchise has affected people. Like even today, I got a message from someone on Instagram who has autism and how much watching the movies has helped that person get through the COVID because they can't even go outside right now. And it just must be so hard for them. And then just like hearing that sort of thing is really humbling and amazing. And so now, now I'm trying to kind of embrace it sort of. Well, Uh, yeah, it's funny because you're saying about, you don't necessarily talk about it. What made you go back then? So how did this, how did this new opportunity come come across for, for game changers? Um, so I don't know if I should be telling this story, but I had a friend, well, like already, like there is a lot of press in the news, like, okay, they're going to be doing this series. And then and then soon after that, I heard, okay, it's going to be filmed in Vancouver. So right. when I heard that, the first thing I did was I reached out to Jordan Kerner and I'm like, and it wasn't even for a job. I wasn't like, yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not like, I don't care if I'm not in it, but if you're in Vancouver, I'd love to take you out for lunch. Yeah, yeah. You, you, just because you picked me to play Ken, you changed my life. Yeah, I yeah. want to be able to thank you and show you my appreciation. I also contacted Steve, that sort of thing. And they kind of got back to me saying like, the plan is to have new kids. We don't know what we're doing yet. Yeah. Uh, that sort of thing. Um, and then they filmed the pilot, I believe in January of 2020 and then COVID hit. Yeah, of course. And then they shut down production but then I think sometime during that month, a friend of mine who is in locations, she does locations in the industry. She kind of reached out to me and just kind of just, she didn't even really tell me anything. She's like, so have you, have you heard about uh, the game changers? I'm like, yeah. And I know it's filming up here. Yeah, She's yeah. like, okay. Okay. And then <laughs> I think maybe way later, she's, she just kind of hinted like expect a call. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't, I hope I don't get her in trouble for this, but, uh, um, but, uh, and then I was actually in Tofino, which is like a really nice kind of vacation spot on Vancouver Island on up here in BC. And I was camping. So I woke up, it was it's still a camping area that has cell phone reception. So right. I check my email in the morning. I see, I got something from Mighty Ducks. I'm like, Oh, that's very interesting. But I was like, I want to get up. I want to make some breakfast. I Let's just leave this for a while. Yeah, My yeah. friends want to go surfing. Let's go watch them surf. I, I didn't want to go surfing because I, I don't like cold water. But uh, <laughs> but so like, I'm on this beach waiting, waiting to meet another friend. It's a super long beach. We have no idea where each other are. And then I get this phone call and I see that it's from a U.S. number. Right. And I'm like, this is it this is the call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, uh, I look at my, my girlfriend, I'm like, should I answer this? And she's like, I think you should. So I answered it. And then it's casting directors. They asked if I want to be part of it. I don't even think they needed to finish the sentence. I was like, yes, I want to be part of it. And then after that, it was just like, should I get an agent? Should I not get an agent? Now it's all this financial stuff. I'm like, Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. want to deal with this stuff. Yeah, and then, yeah. I decided just because I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to be the person saying, can I have more money? Yeah, that of sort of stuff. I was like, let's just get an agent, uh, see what happens. Yeah. And then got the agent, got everything going. And the next thing I know, I'm uh, waiting for 
five of my friends to come out of quarantine because we have a 14 day quarantine here in Canada for anybody that comes from out of country. And they're sitting in a hotel. I'm waiting for them to come out to try to show them the town. Uh, But in this COVID world where I can't show them the town. Um, But yeah, but that's how I found out. I jumped on it right away. Like, Why did you jump on it then? And I'm just interested. Obviously, it must it was obviously a fantastic period in your life, but you, you've talked that you've said you you know, you don't really talk about it now. What was it that drew you back then? Um, I think mostly seeing old friends yeah, yeah. and then also the concert industry was shut down. Yeah. So I was making absolutely no money. I was relying on uh, the government relief yeah, yeah. and I was like, well, this is perfect timing. I mean, yeah, still, yeah. I wouldn't say no. Like uh, no. Uh, it's just like, if this is if this is just the one thing I do for the time being as an actor, that's great. If it happens to put the bug in me to continue acting, yeah, we'll yeah. see if that happens. Um, and I'm still kind of waiting to see what would happen. But uh, but yeah, like it's just like it's just something you don't say no to. <laughs> no, no, I, I totally agree. I I was just wondering what the drive was and what was it like then getting back and meeting those guys again. It was great. Like uh, the second, I think Matt got in, Matt who plays Aaron got in first. So the second he was allowed out of quarantine, we're like, come on, we're going for a spin. We're going for a drive. I'm going yeah, to show yeah. you what I can around town safely. So I think we probably went for a hike or something like that out yeah, in the yeah. forest. So it's nice and safe. Um, at that point, so we were all getting uh, COVID tests like every three days. So yeah within the six of us, we had our own bubble that we could be comfortable with as long as we, and we respected the, what, what production was trying to do. And we didn't go to any restaurants. We didn't go to anything where there would be anybody else. It was just like, we went, we took a trip up to Squamish and Whistler. Uh, We made sure we stayed in our bubble, stayed away from anyone else. I think that's kind of really the only time I was able to kind of like show them a bit of Vancouver or BC in general. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then the coolest thing is is reuniting as adults. Yeah. Because kind of like as kids, you're just like just having fun. You don't really get into like real serious conversations yeah. about life, about kids, about troubles, about growing up, about what it's like, what it was like for everybody else growing up as a child star and how they dealt with it, that sort of yeah. thing. And now getting to know each other as adults was a amazing thing. Like we all have this deep connection of doing the movies, but now for the six of us that were invited back, now we have this other deep connection of really getting to know each other as adults and having yeah. these kind of like real substantial conversations rather than be like, Hey, you want to play a game? That sort of thing. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's really cool to get every, to know everybody else that much better. No, it, it, it's tremendous. What was it like lacing up the boots again? Oh, I've been playing hockey. Well, like I stopped playing hockey when I was about 15 and then I think I really started missing it maybe in my mid twenties, but then okay. didn't really have a group to go out with. But I think in my late twenties, I finally found a group to go out with. And then ever since then, whenever I have friends that have like a weekly group just to yeah, play yeah. pickup hockey, I, I'll, I'll join that. So I, when I can, and when COVID's not here, I usually play once a okay. week, except for maybe in the summer. Right. And, uh, 
And yeah, I only play pickup, so it's just basically everybody just laces up. They either put on a dark jersey or a light jersey. There's no refs. No one's really yeah. counting score other yeah. than like you get up at five, you switch goalies, right. that sort of thing. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, I don't like I don't like paying for league games because like with the concert industry, I'd probably only be able to play like five out of twenty games, yeah. and you end up spending a lot of money uh, to do that. Um, so I and then it just gets too competitive, and people treat beer league as if it's NHL and they want to <laughs> kind of get into fights and get into right. arguments over it. I'm just like, it's just a game. We all need to go to work in the morning. Yeah, of course. Let's, of course. let's just have fun. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. What were the other guys like? Were they, were they a bit rusty or were they able to skate still? Um, Matt has been skating a bit. Right. Uh, I believe he plays pickup hockey as well. Okay. Uh, whenever he can, uh, Garrett and Vinny hadn't skated at all, but the second they got those skates on, they were just fine. Same yeah, yeah. as Eldon. I think Marguerite will admit herself that she, she it was tough for her. <laughs> <laughs> so she uh, lacing up the skates for Marguerite was probably a little more challenging uh, than the rest of us. But um, for me, it was like because I hadn't played hockey for so long because of COVID, it was just fun getting out there. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. And moving forward what are your aspirations and um i don't know like covid's putting a real kind of like i guess a stall on things like should yeah. i keep on uh doing work in the concert industry or in the recording industry i think i've applied to be actually be a sound assistant uh in movies Okay. So uh, I, I applied to be the person that actually mics up the actors, like puts the little yeah, mics yeah. and hides them in their clothing and stuff like that. Uh, because I talked to a bunch of people on set while I was, uh, I was talking to the audio assistant on set and the boom op on set while we were filming game changers. So I was like, well, how do I get into this? This is like yeah. what I like to do. I like doing audio. I went to school for audio. I don't didn't go to school for anything else. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably nothing else I can have <laughs> qualifications for. Um, I mean, I also even apply to Canada Post to, to like, you know, have nice long walks every day and deliver mail. Uh, wow. So, like, right now, I have no idea. I have no idea when the concert industry is going to come back. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to want to do it. I don't know if I'm yeah. going to have the same clients. So, yeah. and then after I filmed Game Changers, uh, my agent slept, sent me an email. It's like, so do you have the acting bug? Right. And I was like, I don't know. Uh, and then I think, I think I kind of left it at, well, let's wait for the episode come out to yeah. come out. If I could watch it without cringing every yeah. single second, I see myself on screen. Uh, maybe. maybe. And then I think the important question is that I'm going to ask my agent. It's like, well, what do you think? Yeah. You've, you've seen the episode now. Do you think I could do this? Yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. No, oh, very good. What would your piece of advice be then if you had to give a young person or, or anyone in general, really, one piece of advice that was maybe looking to follow in a similar a similar journey that you've been on? Uh, like either to be an actor or to be an audio engineer. Anything. Okay, so as an actor, going back to that. Uh, uh, training, practice, get like when you go for auditions, you're going to lose 99% of them. The 1% just 
you'll get. Yeah. So that means most of the time you're going to be an unemployed actor. <laughs> but if you really want to do it, that means when you're not actually working, you practice, you find scripts, you read, you find groups that you can read with, right. uh, you reach out to independent movies, you try to get parts in there, you just do whatever you can to hone your skill. I think for acting, that's what you have to do. You can't just be like, oh, like I got this natural talent, I could do this, no problem, I could just go to an audition and get a part. Yeah. You're not gonna do that because like, like for me, like I was just being myself as Ken Wu, but then later on in life, like I think I went to a couple acting coaches when I was like still trying to work it out. And it's like, well, what do you think this character actually wants? How do you think he actually feels? Yeah. What's his relationship between this person and the other character? Like, even if you have maybe only like one small scene, this is the stuff as an actor that you got to think about to actually become that character. Even if yeah. it's like not that important to to actually what's on the paper. It's like, it's that sort of thing that if you're a good actor, you'll have in your head to make this character real, which would then for translate to a real character for the people that are watching you. Yeah. Um, for audio engineering, I would say it's just like the name of your podcast. It's a hobby as a lifestyle. Like you're not, coming home nine to five and and being like oh my work here is done you're you're coming home and you're creating more like if you're a studio musician if you're a producer you're just constantly doing that like you you don't put it down you don't turn it off um in concerts you can a little bit it's it's more of a not nine to five job i would say it's yeah. more of a more of a five to one a.m job yeah. <laughs> but uh but yeah it's uh I think I think actually my one bit of advice is keep your body healthy because okay. you're doing the long you're doing the long hours. Yeah. If you eat if you eat crap like I did for the majority of my life, your your body's gonna fall apart after yeah. loading truck after truck, after yeah. all that lifting, after being on your feet for twelve hours a day, after not eating after like eight hours because you're just constantly working after not drinking water because you don't want to pee in the middle of a set. Yeah that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so yeah. just stay healthy, try to go to the gym. Otherwise your shoulders and your back are going to start failing you. And I'm already experiencing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess that would be my bits of advice for both. No, it's fantastic. Been a part of, yeah. No, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, honestly, Justin, I just want to say thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been amazing to listen to your journey and thanks for sharing it with a hobby of a lifestyle. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.